All right, teaching number three, the, the final part of uh, Joshua 1.9 says, The Lord is with you wherever you go. And we've already gone, gone over the context, but for Joshua, the Lord was with him. From the wilderness to the promised land. And you think about Joshua, Joshua and Caleb were in the very beginning of the wilderness wandering. They were the two faithful guys. They're the ones who went, they saw not the giants, they didn't see the problems, they saw the possibilities. They, they came back and like, you guys don't even understand, this land is blessed. And then all the other uh, um, spies were like, no, no, giants. Right? Like that's, that's what they focused on. So imagine being Joshua, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, when if they would have just listened to you, you wouldn't have had to do it. Okay, like this is, this is not been easy, but the Lord has been with him in the wilderness and now all the way to the promised land. Wherever he stepped foot, the Lord has already gone in front of him from wandering, from wondering to victory. God was with him in the seasons of sadness. And listen, God is also with him in the seasons of success. It's the seasons of success that we really begin to forget that the Lord is with us but during the seasons of sadness, we, we hit our knees. So we need to do better. He sustained him in the wilderness, as we've already talked about. He made their sandals not wear out. He provided manna every single morning. And he even provided water from the rock that we know later in the New Testament was Christ. But more than sustaining him in the wilderness, here in the book of Joshua, he will strengthen him in the wars. He causes the walls to fall. More than that, he makes the sun stand still. The point is wherever he went, God was with him. And this isn't unique just to Joshua. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is 2 Kings chapter 19. Um, it's, it's more than just in that chapter, but uh, when Sennacherib, you guys remember this? Uh, uh, King Sennacherib of, of Assyria, um, he is breathing threats to Hezekiah. Um, and he's doing it through a, um, a, a guy who's like proclaiming these threats, boasting these threats. And Hezekiah knows the Assyrians are stronger than them. And so when he hears of these threats and he knows 180,000 troops are outside um, of, of his city, he knows that they're outnumbered. And so what does Hezekiah do? He prays. He prays. And he's like, Lord, we can't do this. <laughs> and I don't know about you. I don't know if you... I mean, let's just do this. Let's go junior high, high school. By show of hands, how many of us have faced a situation where we said, I don't know what to do? Every hand should be in the air. This is to wake you up, okay? It's designed, okay? We want to get some movement, some blood flow. Let that digestion settle in. All of us, guys, every single one of us has faced scenarios where we went, I don't know what to do. At that point, what do you do? Hezekiah hit his knees, and he's like, Lord, I need you. I need you. And it's one of the best stories. The next morning... Israel goes out to battle, and what do they find? A bunch of corpses. 180,000. The only one left alive, Sennacherib, the king. And what did he do? He left. He went back to Nineveh, where he was from. You see, the enemy was defeated before the battle even begun. And this is what the Lord often does. When I'm praying for someone who's, who's going through it, I say, Lord, would you please defeat the enemy before they even show up, before you get to the battle? Because we spend so much time worrying and wondering, but if the Lord is with us, he has the ability to defeat the enemy. 
But guys, it's not just the Old Testament. It's not just, it's not just Hezekiah with Sennacherib. It's not just Joshua here wandering in the wilderness and taking the land. But also in the New Testament, the Lord proved to his disciples in Matthew 14, which is where our text is tonight, he proved that he is with them wherever they go. Okay, you know, you know the story, but here in Matthew 14, we pick it up in verse 22 where it says this, Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he did the dirty work and sent the multitudes away. Who are the multitudes? 12,000. What were they there for? They, they were there to see the miracle worker do, do his tricks. They came to see a show, they came to have people healed, and then they even got a free meal out of it. Jesus said, I'll dismiss them. You guys get in the boat and go to the other side. Now please notice, the disciples got into the boat out of obedience. That's why Jesus told them what to do, and what do they do? They obeyed. And by obeying Jesus, please take note, they were thrust into a storm. And can you imagine? They, they get thrown into the storm and we're going to see the, the, the waves toss the boat. Can you imagine their thoughts? Lord, you told us to do this. I obeyed you and here I am in the midst of a storm. That's how it often goes. We obey and then a storm comes. Maybe you're in the midst of one of these storms right now where you obey the Lord and you look around and you see nothing but difficulty. I want to encourage you, don't lose heart. In fact, I would even say this. There are four types of storms in life. If you're taking notes, feel free to jot these down. Um, if you're not taking notes, well, shame on you. Um, okay, uh, four types of storm. Number one, storm of correction. Storm of correction. Uh, th th this is when God corrects us for what we've done. This is the, the um, reaping what you sow type of storm. Remember I was talking about my little girl wanting to touch the, the stove? Okay, a storm of correction would have been if she did, right? She touched that, would have seared her hand. Her hand would have been all burnt for a while. She would have had to learn the difficult way because of what she did. Some of us have to learn the difficult way. We, we sin, we go for it, and then what happens now? We have to deal with the consequences. That's a sin, uh, or sorry, a storm of correction. Number two, there's also the storms of inspection, this is where the Lord tests us to see what we're made out of. You think of Abraham. God says, what's the most precious thing in the world to you? Oh, your son? Okay, offer him up. Let's see who's, who's more important, me, me or him. Okay, the Lord will inspect our faith oftentimes, and we get thrust into a storm. Thirdly, there's the storms of direction. This is where God guides us to where we would never go otherwise. Um, it, it wasn't too long ago, um, I you know, live up in Jacksonville, there's, there's the ocean and then there's a river, the St. John's, that runs right through um, our town. And uh, I like to do freshwater fishing. I don't have a boat, but my buddy got a boat for just a short little bit of time and, and we knew he was going to have to ship the boat off to his father-in-law who had purchased it. So we, we had one chance to go fishing. And so we took it. And when you got little kids in the home, you, you don't have a lot of time. And so he and I both do. We're like, let's just take this opportunity. Who cares? Don't even look at the weather. Right? We're just going to go. And so we go. And as we get pushed out into the St. John's, which is three miles wide, as we get pushed out into it, out of nowhere, a storm hit. And I'm talking white caps on a river. This was a gnarly storm. 
So we make it all the way through to the other side, and we just have to hug the coastline of the river. There's a, there's a big outlet called Doctor's Lake because it's like this giant area that comes off the river. We just hugged it all the way. We went all the way into the back. And then the storm eventually passes, and we're left with this placid area of gorgeous fishing that we would have never found had it not been for the storm. You see, God sends us through storms sometimes to take us where we would never have chosen to go. We would have never picked. There's a blessing waiting for you, but you would have never gotten there had it not been for the storm, the thing that you're complaining about, the thing that you're panicking about. Well, lastly, guys, we've had storms of correction, inspection, direction. Fourthly and finally, and this is where the disciples are, there's storms of perfection. Storms of perfection. This is where the Lord is perfecting us. The refiner fire type storm. He's making us more like him. We complain and say, well, I obeyed and now I'm here. He's like, that's exactly my point. <laughs> that's why you're here. Because you obeyed, you are going to learn to trust me. You are going to learn to become more like me. And these are the, this is where the disciples are. Verse 23, we go on. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. It, it, we don't really need to, to say much, but if Jesus made time to get alone with the Father, don't you think you and I need to? Go ahead and you know, let's give me some reaction. Don't you think you and I need to? Yes, yes, we do, Pastor. Yes, good, okay? Jesus was busier than you. Jesus was more tired than you. Jesus had more responsibilities than you. And yet he carved time out of his schedule to spend alone with the Father. It wasn't easy, but he found time. This is late. He's, he's been doing miracles and preaching all day. He then had to send 12,000 people away. And he doesn't say, I'm going to go take a nap. He's like, no, I, I need this. I need to spend time alone with the Father. Verse 24. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea. And it seems like this is the opposite of the point. The disciples were alone and Jesus wasn't there. You go, I, I, I thought God was with you always. Well, just hang on. You'll see. Tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, I want you guys to remember the context. The disciples had just witnessed one of the greatest miracles ever, and they, they were personally involved in it. Okay? They had to hand out the food to the 12,000 people who are super hungry. Right? And they saw the five loaves and two fish, and now they're just handing. I mean, that miracle must have been life-changing. So you would think that night, that evening, you would think that they'd be like, hey, guys, we're in the middle of the storm, but don't worry, don't worry. The man who changed five loaves and two fish into a feast for 12,000 plus leftovers, he'll get us out. We don't read of that. And we go, you stupid disciples. Like, how did you forget? Wait, wait, how did you forget? How do I forget? It's amazing. I mean, when we planted the church, guys, we had, I mean, we had some pretty explosive growth, um, like, right away. We, like, doubled from one week to the next. We went from, like, you know, four to eight. I mean, it was crazy. Um, <laughs> I would boast the church all the time. We are the fastest growing church in America. Um, but, but listen, sometimes towards the beginning there, we, on, on Sundays, I'm not exaggerating, we seriously had four people. Um, and then Sunday mornings, like, we got 20, and I'm like, oh my gosh, 
we're kind of a real church. Like there's 20 people here that didn't have to be, right? It was just incredible. Um, but then, then Wednesdays would come, and we did, we did Sundays and Wednesdays from day one, okay? And then Wednesdays would come. I'm not kidding. There was three people there. They were all in junior high, and I picked them up. Right? I'm not even kidding. I'm not even kidding. I would drive to the house. Like, all right. So we had a junior high worship leader, a junior high sound guy, and a junior high home player. That was, that was everyone who came. They did worship. I was in the, in the, the audience, and then they, we would switch, and then I would teach. <laughs> it, was, it was ridiculous. But guys, as the church began to grow, I, I would think of, on, on a Sunday morning, I would look out in the crowd, you know, let's just say it would be about this size. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, Lord, you are so good. Look at all these people. Like, I don't deserve this. You're, so, you're amazing. You're so good. And then Wednesdays would come, and then uh, still, it would be the three junior hires. And I'm like, what's wrong with these people? Right? I'm, I mean, just wishy-washy. And it's like, are you kidding, dude? It's Wednesday. Did you forget Sunday? Did you forget that that person got saved? Did you forget that that marriage is now better because they listened to the word of God? We forget. We forget that God does a work. That's the disciples. In the middle of the boat, in the middle of the sea, and they're about to freak out. Look at verse 25. Now in the fourth watch of the night, you A-plus students know this is around 3 a.m. in the morning. So however tired you are, they were more tired. Okay? And they listened I'm just, saying, I'm just saying, it's biblical. There's a fourth watch of the night. Jesus went to them walking on water. It's uh, John's gospel that tells us that they rode for three to four miles. We know this was anywhere from six to nine hours. And I mean, out of curiosity, any of you guys row? Anyone like actually get on a rower and row? Not one. Not one. Now, are you kidding me? What is wrong with you? There's one. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. I also row, me and you, this is good. Okay. That's a long time. Okay. You, you get on a rower for 20 minutes and you think like death. I mean, it's just miserable. These guys had rowed for six to nine hours. And I wonder if you can relate to the disciples, other than the rowing guy, if you can relate to the disciples in this, you feel like you've been rowing against a storm all by yourself. For far too long. And you look around and you go like, man, how come nobody else has to go through this? Why, why do I always have to do this? Lord, where are you? Right? I, th I thought the whole point of the message was that you're always with us. Where are you? Why am I always out here doing all this work? Perhaps even you feel abandoned. We'll come back to this point later, but I want to encourage you to remember previous victories in those moments. When you are discouraged, when you are deflated, when you're defeated, I want you to remember that the Lord has done a great work in time past, and you go back to those times. This is biblical. This is what David does in the Psalms. As he's writing the Psalms, the beginning of a Psalm will be so discouraged and depressed, defeated, but then by the end, he's talking, he's talking victory talk. Why? Because he remembered, he looked back, to find encouragement in the present moment. But we read there, and it's so good. You feel discouraged, but don't forget this. Jesus went to them. They weren't making much progress, but Jesus made his way to them. Then we read verse 26. And when the disciples, <laughs> this is so good. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. I think sometimes the biblical authors give us way too much detail. Um, 
if you, Leviticus 17, feel free to, to look that up later tonight. Um, way too much detail, right? I mean, there, there's sometimes you're like, I don't know if I needed to know that, right? But then there's other times where you read it and you're like, I would have loved to know more, right? I mean, have you ever felt that? You're reading the Bible, you're like, what? Like, I mean, look, look back to verse 25 even. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea as if this is just normal, Right, I mean, like, imagine you are telling someone that story. Would it? Would you tell it like that? Like, yeah. So uh, we were out in the middle of the um, sea, and the boat was being tossed. But then Jesus came. He was walking on water, and what? Like, no way. There's not a chance. We would be freaking out, giving every detail. How was he walking on water? Right? Like, we imagine like just this, you know. It's kind of Little Mermaid. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, but but we we imagine just this, this calm. But the water wasn't calm. The, the boat is being tossed by the waves. So, I mean, I know it's a, it's a little bit of a digression and a little bit of my own opinion, but I think Jesus was kind of like parkouring the, the waves. Like, I mean, I, mean I, think he's, I think he's having fun. I think he's going crazy. I mean, this is, this is epic, but we're not told anything. And then we're, we're told how the disciples feel. Look at verse 26. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, I love this, they were troubled. I love the New King James rendering. If you have a different rendering, don't worry about it. Listen to me for a second, okay? They were, they were troubled. Right? I mean, what? Are you kidding me? These guys were more than troubled. I want you to get into their mindset. This is the middle of the night. How do you see on the sea? There's no light around. How do you see? Anyone? Right, let's, let's do this. Let's call on people. How do you see? What? The moon, that's one. How else? Lightning. I think if there's a storm going on, you're not going to see the moon very well. Okay? The way you are going to see most likely is by lightning. So now let's just imagine. They're rowing. They are exhausted. They've been doing this for six to nine hours. It is 3 a.m. At this point, you're seeing things. Let's just say it's John. He's rowing, and out in the distance, lightning strikes, and he sees this little figure on water. He's like, what? What the heck? He's like, no, no, I'm seeing things. That was me. That was water in my eye. Like, this, this is me, right? Pitch black again, lightning. That, that thing's a little bit bigger. He's like, what the? He's like, Thomas, you seeing this? He's like, I doubt it. <laughs> anyway, rowing, rowing. Another lightning strikes. And then, pff, even, he's like, ah! I mean, he's freaking out. So much so that it tells us in verse 26, they were troubled in what they say. It's a ghost. Why do you think they thought it was a ghost? Because it's, right? I mean, like, it's a dude walking on water. He's getting closer. Every time the lightning strikes, they are more than troubled. They are freaking out. They're losing their mind. And perhaps, perhaps you've been there. Freaked out, losing your mind. And the reason you're losing your mind is actually the source of comfort. It's Jesus sending you into the storm to teach you that he is always with you. And so we read. This is so good. Verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke. I love how gracious he is. He didn't just like hover there. I mean, if it's me, I would have been like, ooh. I mean, but he didn't. He immediately spoke to them saying, listen, be of good cheer. It is I, do not be afraid. You could do a full sermon with those three statements. 
It's so good. First of all, be of good cheer. They're like, the ghost talks. <laughs> like, I mean, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Why is Jesus not afraid? Because he knows the end of the story. He wrote the book, right? Like, he knows. When my, when my daughters were super little, my son never went through this, but we, had a, we have a really high bed, and they would stand on the edge of the bed, and they would go to jump to me, and it was the cutest thing in the entire world, because they would, like, get ready. Like, you'd see, like, the bravery is, like, making its way up, and they're like, okay, here we go. And they like, jump, and like, nope, nope. They, they thought they were going to face plant on the ground, and I'm there. Daddy's there. I'm like, girls, I'm like, it's good. Daddy's got you. Like, jump. I'll catch you. And they were terrified. Eventually, they got over it, like when they were around like 11 or 12. <laughs> Just kidding. Eventually, they got over it when they were like, you know, three. But I wasn't afraid. I wasn't like, oh, gosh, I hope they can jump to me. I hope I, oh, I, hope I can catch. I wasn't afraid because I knew no matter what, I'm going to catch them. I knew. It was my perspective. Jesus isn't afraid because he knows the end. These guys are afraid. Verse 28. Oh, doing a life study of Peter's the best. And Peter answered and said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Listen, Peter, Peter makes a lot of mistakes, um, but I just love him here. I love it. Like, how many of us would have done this? I would not have done this. I'm positive. I know me. I would have never even thought. I'd be like, okay, so if that's Jesus, he's walking on water, still kind of tripping out. Like, I mean, I would not have asked, hey, do you want me to get out of the boat and come to you? Never, never. But Peter is bold and brash and dumb. So <laughs> we read verse 29. So he said, come. One word. How much does it take for you to start moving? How, how much does the Lord have to do to get your attention? Guys, it's one word. Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on water to Jesus. Several things here. One, the reason I chose this passage is because this was the verse that the Lord gave to Betsy and I to, to go to Jacksonville to plant the church. Coming from Arizona, uh, I was a pastor at a very large church. It was a great job. I love that church still to this day. Um, they, they treated me great. It was very difficult to leave. But we were doing our devotions together, and I don't want you to, to think that we're like super holy and every single night, you know, we, we pray for hours and we read the Bible constantly. It just so happened that night we were doing devotions together. We don't do it every, every night. I think it's good as a couple to do devotions together as well as separate. Okay, but this night we were doing it together and we both got to this word and we stopped. Like, whoa. I'm like, did you feel that? She's like, I felt that. Did you feel that? I'm like, I felt that. I was it was amazing. We both knew the Lord was speaking to us, telling us to come. And here's what I took from it. Jesus is already where I'm going. He's already there. He's already doing the work. Okay? So he said to come. Now look at And when Peter had come down out of the boat, just stop right there, ancient boats, they had deep holes. Okay? So to, to get out of the boat was not an easy task on placid water. I want us to think of how comical of a scene this must have been. Peter calls out to the ghost Jesus, and he says, if it's you, tell me to come. And Jesus, the ghost, you know, they're not quite sure yet. He's like, okay, come, right? Like, I mean, what if this was a ghost with a sense of humor, right? Just Peter, he's like, anybody else? Like, nope, we're good. <laughs> but, but Peter, I, I mean, guys, seriously, getting out of this boat 
wasn't easy. The boat is being tossed by the waves. So Peter like has to like climb out. <laughs> He's like, they're like the boat's like, <laughs> like, they're like this is this isn't easy. What do you think the, the other disciples in this moment are thinking? I think one of two things is happening. And, and I think both are happening depending on which disciple it was. I think some are watching Peter and they're marveling. I, I can't believe he has this sort of faith. Like to look like a fool in front of his friends, to have his face get all beat up from the boat, to get out and to walk towards Jesus. I, I can't believe it. I've never done it. I think at least some were marveling. But more than that, unfortunately, I think perhaps they mocked. Like, okay, Peter, it's always got to be you. Like, is that how you get out of a boat? Look at this clown. Like, what are you thinking? You're insane. And guys, listen, when you take steps of faith, people will react. They'll either marvel or mock. When we, again, when we planted the church, I, I mean, we weren't really thinking anything about steps of faith. Like it just, we felt like the Lord told us to do it. We're going to do it. We, I mean, looking back, I can see, but it, in it, it didn't feel like it was just like we're just doing what God told us to do. And throughout the years, it's been 11 years now, throughout the years, over and over and over again, people have said, you have no idea how much the Lord spoke to me just by watching just by seeing what you did. When you take steps of faith, people will marvel. But as we were trying to take steps of faith, plenty got in line to mock. And when that happens, at that point, you're, you're, you have to determine why are you doing this? Did the Lord speak to you or didn't he? Now, it says, again, verse 29, come, all it took was one word, and then when Peter came out of the boat, they marveled, verse 30. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. Look back at verse 29. He, that's Peter, walked on water to go to Jesus. Verse 30, he was afraid and began to sink. We know the story well, so I won't belabor the point, but it's kind of the key to the whole text, isn't it? When Peter kept his eyes on Christ... He did the impossible. One of two people have ever walked on water, okay? And it wasn't, it wasn't a magician. It was Jesus and Peter. This is amazing. And as he's looking at Jesus, I mean, what, what was this like? Like when he felt the water, did it, did it resist like the floor? Or, or, or was he just above it? Did, did he, like, ride the waves like, like Jesus was doing? Like, what did it look like? I don't know. But as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he was able to stay above the water miraculously. But then, listen, as he saw the waves, and I think maybe even more than that, as he felt the wind, as he felt the water hitting him, he began to sink. What are you looking at? Are you looking at the problems or are you looking at the solution? Are, are you looking to Christ or are you looking at all of the difficulty? More than that, are you allowing how you feel to take your eyes off of Christ? That's what Peter did. He felt panic. He felt fear because he felt the water. And so he stopped looking at Jesus and he started looking at the impossibility of his situation. It's impossible to walk on water. Unless, of course, your eyes are fixed on Christ. But I don't want to beat Peter up here. I want to point out something positive he did. Beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, 
save me. Let me ask you in one word. When you cry out to Jesus, what's that called? Uh, you guys are not confident at all. Prayer. What is it, what is it called? Prayer. 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 When you cry out to Jesus, it's called prayer. Peter here prayed. I want you to note two things in his prayer. Number one, it wasn't eloquent. I love that. There was no religious anything with this prayer, right? As he began to sing, oh, Lord, I bequeath thee today to grab thine hand. I mean, not, nothing, nothing, no, nothing. <laughs> when, I, when I first became a full-time pastor, um, just before they gave me the junior high group, they asked me to be over new believers, and it was my favorite. I loved being over new believers. Um, one thing I, I would always do is um, class one, I'd be like, all right, guys, um, uh, we're going to start off in prayer. Um, let's see, uh, Joe, you're going to pray. Brand new baby Christians. And he's like, I'm going to pray? I'm like, yeah. He's like, like out loud? Like in front of people? I'm like, yeah. He's like, I don't know how. Like, what, what do you want me to do? I'm like, just talk to God. And he's like, okay. Um, all right. Everyone fold your eyes and, and close your hands. Wait, uh, uh, oh, okay, what do you get it? Um, so, uh, God, Lord, right? I'm like, you're crushing it. He's like, okay, all right. So, um, what's up? Um, are you, am I allowed to say that? I'm like, you're good, dude, just go. He's like, awesome, listening to these prayers. Nothing religious about it whatsoever. You then go to an elders meeting, and I mean, the person's praying so flowery, and you're like, oh, okay. I'm not saying every time that happens, that's, that's but sometimes, right? Like, I know I've been there. I've prayed, and no joke, while talking to God in front of people, I thought, this is pretty good. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps my favorite example, though, is, is my, little, my little Lily, my middle child, who something has happened that I forget, too. Um, when she was little, she was praying, and she, she was like, she asked me what I pray for. I'm like, well, just tell God what you're thankful for. Right? Just say thank you for all the things. She's like, okay. So she's praying. I mean, she was super little. Um, and she's the best. She's like, uh, Lord, thank you for my family. Uh, thank you for our apartment. <laughs> and then no joke, no joke, I swear, I promise you this is what she said. She said, and thank you for Cap. And Cap is... Captain America. No joke. <laughs> She's like, and thank you for Cap. And she, I'm like, yeah, girl, you get it done. Like, yes. <laughs> thank you for Captain America, Lord. Yes, girl. <laughs> Guys, the prayer wasn't beautiful, but it was effective because it was sincere. Right? It wasn't beautiful, but it was effective because it was sincere. You don't, you don't have to make it flowery and beautiful. If God's blessed you with that, and you really are gifted, go for it. Don't feel bad, okay? But make sure you're not being prideful in your prayer. Number two, not only did, did Peter pray in a way that was not religious, but number two, and I think maybe even more importantly, he knew where to, to direct his prayer to. He knew where to direct his prayer to. First of all, he didn't struggle to swim as he began to sink. Number two, he didn't look to his friends. This is what we do, isn't it? He, he didn't look to his friends. He looked to Jesus. And lastly, and I think maybe even most importantly, he didn't look to the boat. Why do I say most importantly? Because that boat is what's kept him afloat for the last nine hours. The thing that's kept him above the waves barely 
Isn't that what we do? We look at the things that have barely kept us above the wave. We didn't realize that they're actually a prison that's holding us in the wave, but, but we look back to it. Well, okay, I'll just, I'll just go back to, to the, the bottle. I'll just go back to the pills. I'll just go back to that person. I'll just go back to that, that organization. I'll go back to the, the status and success of my job. I'll just go back to that because at least I felt like I was above the water then. Peter knew only Jesus could save him. And so he directed his prayer to the right place. All right, we conclude by looking at verses 31 through 33. And immediately, (laughs) this is so good, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, now just pause, what do you think was in Peter's mind? If the Lord speaks to me, I know what he's going to say. He's going to be like, son, I'm so proud of you. You are so much better than those 11 in the boat. He's like, I know, I know I am. Right, like there's going to be at least some expectations of what he's going to hear. And listen to what Jesus said. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? He's like, oh, me of little faith, oh, them of little faith. Are you kidding me? I am out of the boat. I am walking on the water. There they are in the boat, right? Jesus said it to him. The one who took the biggest step of faith. Why? Because Jesus isn't talking about getting out of the boat. Jesus is talking about taking his eyes off of Jesus and looking at the problems. Anytime we do, regardless of the situation, anytime we do, we have little faith because we stop looking at the solution. We stop looking at the Son. We stop looking at the Savior. So this word doubt in in the Greek, it means standing uncertainly, sorry, sorry, um, standing uncertainly at two different ways. Peter, you're looking at me and you see that I can keep you up, but you're also looking at the waves. And these two, they don't make sense together. Okay? Why did you doubt? Don't you know I am with you wherever you go? I'm with you in the boat and I'm with you on the water. I was with you when I was up there praying with the Father. I am with you here. I'm with you now. We can be like Peter duplicitous in our thinking. Looking at Jesus, raising our hands during worship, agreeing to the teaching, even agreeing as we're reading um, privately in our own devotional time. But then, when the rubber um, meets the road, what happens? Doubt settles in. We, We start looking at all the problems. He would say to us the exact same thing. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why are you living duplicitously? If you believe in me, then show it. Trust me. Now look at verse 33. Then those who were in the boat, they came. Oh, sorry, I missed verse 32, which is a huge part. (laughs) And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. That's kind of a big deal. Sorry, I skipped that. Verse 33. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. And you can note this is the first time that the disciples said of Jesus, you are the Son of God. Why? At least half the disciples were fishermen. Where are fishermen comfortable? On boats, in the water. They have weathered storms. They, I think, when, when Jesus asked Peter to use his boat so he can, he can preach to the crowd, and then later he says, let's go out and fish, right? I think Peter thought, Lord, you do the teaching, I'll do the fishing. Okay, like you're master, but I'm captain, right? Like this is my comfort zone. 
I think the disciples felt very, very comfortable on the water. And then Jesus comes in and he calms the storm and they go, I've never seen this before. This is the area of my comfort. This is the area of my confidence. This is the area where I feel like I'm the captain and this guy just came in and he did what I know to be impossible. So at this moment, they gave Jesus even their areas of comfort in confidence. Have you? Or are you like, no, no, he's the master of the land. I'm the captain of the sea, right? That, the, the sea, that's where I'm comfortable. That's where I'm confident, okay? I know what to do with finances, so I don't have to listen to what the Bible says. I know what to do with relationships, so I don't have to listen to Jesus's opinion. I'm good. I'm the captain here. No, you're not. No, you're not. Where's your authority? Hopefully, it rests in Christ. All right, guys, in conclusion, during life's storms, during life's storms, God is with you, even if it doesn't feel like it. Even if it doesn't feel like it. He has a purpose for it. I want to encourage every single one of you, including myself, let's keep our eyes fixed on Christ. Number two, if you trust him in the storm, you will do more than you thought you could. I promise. If you trust him in the storm, you'll do more than what you thought you could. If you try without him, you'll just row. And, and my guy over there knows what that's like, the one guy who rows. Number three, a little faith is better than no faith. Okay, yes, Jesus rebuked Peter for his little faith, but what do you think he said to the disciples in the boat later? At least Peter got out. Number four, faith supernaturally sustains and fear sinks. Faith supernaturally sustains where fear sinks. You can also say fear stinks if you want. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Number five, and finally, seeing Jesus can change our worry into worship. That's what happened. They went from worrying to worshiping because they saw what Jesus could do. So uh, we're, we're going to end where we began, and that is if you struggle with worry, I want to encourage you. I, I know we're going to have some more worship tonight. I want to encourage you to cast your cares to the Lord, to ask him to take charge, to say, I, I'm not the captain. You are. You are. Give it all to him. We're going to have people in the back, and I really want to encourage you. I haven't seen much of this yet. I want to encourage you, utilize those who are here, uh, specifically uh, the, those who have come as leaders to be here to pray for you. Go talk to them. I'll be in the back. Zach will be in the back. I know the leaders over here will be in the back. Come and pray with somebody if you need any prayer. You're, you're, not, you're not a lower Christian if you need prayer, okay? All of us need prayer. I'll go back and I'll have Zach pray for me, man. Like, we all need prayer. If you're dealing with something and you've been holding on, you've been trying to, to steer the ship and right the wrong, and you're not allow, allowing Jesus to do it, give it to him. If you've been crippled because of your own worry, because of your own self-doubt, because you think you are too weak for God to use, give it to him. Trust him.